It truly is a sweet privilege to be able to be here this morning, not only to be with you, but uh, to be with my sweet little girl and her little girls and, and, uh, and Brother Jamie, and, and um, it's, just, it's just a privilege. I would love to be able to come back for the meeting to be with you then, but the limitations of my age are going to forbid me for from uh, from making a second trip that quick. I hope you will understand, but I will be with you in prayer. I guarantee you that. I've been speaking for several months now uh, on the life, if you will, and the events the, that are recorded in the scriptures uh, on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that his life affected certain people in very unique and different ways. Uh, last Friday afternoon I spoke uh, from the, the narrative that speaks of Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter, and she's very sick. And in the midst of Jesus going to heal her, there is a woman with an issue of blood that stops the procession by touching the hem of his garment. Now, Jairus' daughter died and Jesus went and healed her. Now, the events of that day were just ordinary for the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were extraordinary for the woman with the issue of blood. And they turned out to be extraordinary for the ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. And for his daughter. They were extraordinary. And every event that I have looked at, every narrative that I've looked at over the past three to four months, I've looked at them under the premise, if you will, of it's just an ordinary day for Jesus Christ. But for everyone that he touched, everyone that he spoke to, everyone that he was around, their day became extraordinary. And so this morning, if the Lord would bless our time, I want to draw your attention. First of all, uh, I've gotten to where, as, as I get older, brother, brother Chris, the older I get, the more I simply read the scriptures. Uh, I heard Brother Sonny Powell say one time, I can quote it, but if I read it, I know it's the word of God. I know I don't mess up, you know. <clears throat> so I'd just like to read some scripture to you this morning. I draw your attention first to 2 Peter chapter 1. And beginning in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son 
in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 1 through 13. I will not take the time this morning to read all of these, but the Mount of Transfiguration is recorded in Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 13, I believe it is. And in Mark chapter 9, <clears throat> uh, verse 2 through 13, I believe it is. Now, this morning, if the Lord would bless our time and bless me to speak, I want to not go to those two particular narratives, but refer to Luke for uh, there's a specific reason. There's something referred to in Luke's gospel that is not referred to in the other two narratives. It's the same narrative. It's the same event. I want you to understand. It's just the writer's different perspective of the very same event. And, and, I, and I would encourage all you Bible readers, if you haven't done this before, if your center column reference or if your Bible tells you that Luke records this, but Mark records the same event this way, read both events. Read both narratives because it's the same event and you'll get a different perspective from each one. And it's important to understand that this, that this writer may record it this way and this writer may record it this way. It's the same narrative. It's the same event, but it's just a different perspective and it gives you additional information. Now, Matthew and Mark both record that it's after six days, but Luke records it's about eight days. Well, we've got a Bible controversy here. <laughs> well... I don't think there's any controversy here at all because Luke's a Gentile. He would have recorded the day prior where the event actually started, and he would have recorded the day that the event actually took place, which would make eight days, and I have no problem, but I don't believe there's, an, I don't believe there's any controversy here at all. <clears throat> so I want to begin reading this morning and making my remarks. Once again, if the Lord would bless from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, and verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. It's interesting. Jesus often went up into the mountain to pray. We don't know what mountain this is. He obviously liked the solitude of the mountains. He liked being where uh, uh, no one was around him, I suppose. He, he wanted that close nearness, that intimate fellowship with his father. Whenever he would go to pray, he wanted, he, you know, he taught us to pray. He gave the apostles the, the model prayer. He, he, he wasn't afraid to pray in public, but he loved to go and speak to his heavenly father in private. Now, probably because of its proximity to Caesarea Philippi, it's probably Mount Hermon where he was. If you want to look it up on a Bible map, I, I've Spent a lot of time doing these type of things, searching these uh, situations out. 
But he carried Peter and John and James. Those three were with him several times. That was the theologians refer to them as his inner circle of apostles. You know, they're always named first, by the way. They're always named first whenever the apostles are named. Peter, James, and John. They're the same three that he carried with him a little further into the garden. They're the same three that whenever he went into Jairus' dead daughter, that he carried them in to witness the resurrection of that little girl. There's something special about these three men, if you will. Now, there's something special about all of God-called ministers. There is. But there's some, there's just some special gift that they have. Verse 29 says, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Matthew and Mark used the term that he was transfigured. Matthew records that his face did shine as the sun. Mark records that his raiment became shining and exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. That's white. You know, I I mean, that's white. Have you ever tried to compare the white of a snow to any other white? If you, uh, if I had an auto repair man tell me, a body man tell me one time, he said, I hate trying to paint a white car to fix a white car because you can never match the paint of a white car. If the one fender's messed up, you'll never get the paint right. It just doesn't matter what it is. It's just an almost impossibility to, to match white paint. Can you imagine his raiment Whiter that so that no fuller on earth, there's not a bleach on the face of the earth that can that can make his raiment any whiter than it was. And and believe me, something else, okay? This is not the last time John, the apostle, is going to see him like this. It's not the last time. John is going to bring this back, okay? He's going to come back to his memory several times, okay? But but this is not the last time that John is going to see him in this, in this way. As a matter of fact, if we, uh, if we look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, John tells us in, in verse 10, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it in the seven churches of which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice. Did you get that? (laughs) I turned to see the voice. I didn't turn to see who it was, but I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were a flame of fire, and his feet 
like unto fine brass, and, is, and if they, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and, and it goes on and on. And he, in verse 18 he says, he said, well, just, just read the rest of it here. Uh, his, his fame of fire and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, <laughs> I turned to see the voice. <laughs> but when I saw him, I fell at his feet. He's dead. The image, if you will, that John sees on the Isle of Patmos is an image that I don't think human eyes can comprehend. I don't think the human mind can comprehend the glory of Jesus Christ. I, don't think, I think it's incomprehensible that we could even think such a thing. And then verse 30, Luke chapter 9, verse 30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. This intrigues me, Brother Chris. <laughs> it, it intrigues me. Here's some of the reasons that it intrigues me. They were recognized. They were recognized. It wasn't Noah and Daniel and Job. You know, if you read Ezekiel 14, you know, these three men, they're very prominent men. You know, it wasn't Noah, Daniel, and Job. It wasn't Abraham and Joseph, you know, very prominent men in Jewish history. Why Moses and Elijah? How did they understand? They weren't wearing name tags. You know, they weren't wearing name tags. It doesn't say they were wearing name tags anyway, does it? <clears throat> you know, I've thought about this, and theologians have pondered these things, so I'll just give you a few ideas here, you know. Uh, maybe Moses is a figure of those who, are who have died and are buried and, and resurrected, you know. And Elijah is a figure of those who are caught up to be with the Lord. You know, there are two people. It was preached yesterday so very ably that there are at least two people in heaven that never saw the inside of a grave, you know, Enoch and Elijah. They never saw the inside of a grave. Moses died, was buried, and no one knows, no one but the Lord knows where Moses is buried. But here Moses, in a glorified bodily form, appears with a glorified Savior on the mount. Maybe it's, <clears throat> I've heard it said that, well, Moses represents the law, you know, and Elijah represents the prophets, and that Jesus was representative of grace. Well, I like that about as well as any of them, you know. You know. Maybe they're the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. We really don't know. Why worry about it? When the Bible doesn't tell us, it's important, but it's not that important. We're about to find out what is important. Now, these two men who appeared in glory and spake 
of his decease. The word decease there literally means exodus or exit, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, this is the difference between Matthew's rendition and Mark's rendition. They all record that Moses and Elijah were there and that they were conferring. They were, they were having a little a meeting on this Mount of Transfiguration. Whether it was at Mount Hermon or wherever it was, they were having a meeting there. There were two men, Moses and Elijah there. They were speaking with the Lord. Now, they were speaking with the Lord. But they were speaking, and they appeared in glory. They appeared in their glorified bodies. I want you to get this picture. I want you to, this is, now this is, remember again, this is just an ordinary day in the life of Christ. It's just an ordinary day in his life. But for Peter, James, and John, it's about to get really extraordinary for them. Now they're in glory. They're in glorified bodies. And I want you to know that that old apostle Peter, as I refer to the one like myself with hoof and mouth disease so often, and John, the one whom Jesus loved, and James, the first one that was slain, they see something that they're going to rely on deeply later on in their life. They see encouragement in the fact that they see Moses and Elijah in a glorified body. And they were speaking of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, there are people all over this world that believe that the death of Christ on the cross was this great defeat. Well, I want to tell you, it was not a defeat for Jesus. It was not a defeat for Christianity. In reality, it was the greatest accomplishment of all time up until this point. Up until this point. Whatever date, I don't even remember what day it is. The 28th, the 29th of January of the year of our Lord 2023. Uh, up until this point in time, it's the greatest accomplishment known to man is that the Son of God went to the Calvary, went to Calvary's cross and actually accomplished what he came here to do. He was no failure, you see. Not only did he know what his mission was, Moses and Elijah knew what the mission was. That's one of the things that is amazing to me. They were speaking to him about his decease, which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. And don't you know this conversation because Moses had a, had a terrible time with the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Elijah all the good that Elijah did and all the many miracles and things that Elijah did. Don't you know Elijah had problems while he was here on the earth? As a matter of fact, several times he just said, I'm ready to just quit. I'm the only one left, you know. And I know Moses had to feel the same way. And I know they were telling him, Jesus, this is not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy as you think it is. They're speaking to him in his humanity I'm telling you, they're having a conversation about his decease that he accomplished. 
And I want to tell you, I'll go back to this again. I remember hearing, I remember hearing Elder David Crawford say one time, it was at Mount Moriah Church up in, in Possum Trot, Kentucky. <coughs> and, and Elder David Crawford was preaching. He was preaching, about, uh, was preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, when Christ bowed his head and gave up the ghost, that there was a party going on in hell. The devil and all of his angels, they were rejoicing in hell, thinking that they had won the battle only three days later to be aced by grace. I want to tell you, my friends, it was not a failure. The cross of Christ, when, if we lose, I've said this, I believe I've said it here before. If we ever lose sight of Calvary, we might as well close the books and close the doors and go home. And they're telling him, Jesus. <coughs> Moses is saying, you know, the Lord... God carried me up onto a mountain and I died in private. No one knows where my tomb is. Elijah says, you know, you just come and got me in a chariot with fire. And the only one that saw me was Elisha. Jesus, you're going to be on public display. Your death is not going to be like ours. You're going to do something that we were incapable of doing. But you're going to accomplish it. And it came to pass, he says, verse 33, it came to pass <clears throat> as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Now, <clears throat> I've already referred to our, as Brother David says, our dear friend, the Apostle Peter. I've already referred to the Apostle Peter as the one that often had hoof and mouth disease. His, his tongue engaged before his brain did. <clears throat> We don't know how they departed. We don't know if they just disappeared. I feel like they disappeared when the cloud came. But they disappeared. But as they were departing, old Peter just had to say something. <laughs> it's just his way. You know, he's just got to say something. It's Peter's nature. He's just got to say something. And sometimes, Peter, it's just best to keep your thoughts to yourself. Uh, I've said it before. I was preaching one time back up home, and a lot of eyebrows were going up, and people were looking kind of weird, you know, and everything. And I made a statement. I said, if you all think what I'm saying is horrible, you ought to hear what's going on in my mind. Sometimes it's just best to keep your mouth shut. But Peter said, Lord, it's really good for us to be here. We get to see something that the other nine didn't get to see. It's great for us to be here. And since Moses is here, and since Elijah's here, let's make a tabernacle for Moses, and let's make a tabernacle for Elijah. 
and we'll make you one too. I think, I really want to think, that old Peter was so awestruck by the scene that he didn't want it to end. Have y'all ever been in a good meeting like we just got in this weekend where you just don't want it to end? You just don't want it to end. Last, <clears throat> last October, Elder Ronald Lawrence was with us at New Hope. And there's this sister there, sweet, sweet sister. She's not a member of the church. And for years, she's been involved with another order of people. And her son finally was blessed of the Lord to show her. And she was blessed of the Lord to see salvation by grace. And she has not come and asked for a home in the church. I expect it someday, soon. <clears throat> but when that meeting was over, we were standing out in the foyer, and as she was leaving, she walked up to me, and she grabbed me, and she hugged me. She said, Brother Mike, I just don't want this to end. This has been so good. The fellowship, the singing, the preaching, the spirit is so present in our lives. I just don't want this to end. And I said, well, sweetheart, one day it won't. One day it won't end. And I think Peter here is just so awestruck by the scene that he doesn't want it to stop. But the problem is his mistake in suggesting the three tabernacles was not, was not putting Moses and Elijah higher than they ought to be. It was bringing Jesus down to their level. It was bringing Jesus down to the level of Moses and Elijah. And God said, no. I remember preaching a sermon one time back home when God said, no. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes God just says, no. And Peter... This is one of those times. You may want to, you may want, you may have this great desire to build a tabernacle for Moses. You may want to, and have a great desire to build a tabernacle for Elijah. And you may want to build an equal tabernacle for the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is my beloved son. I said no. This is one of those times when God said no. No, Peter, it's not going to happen. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. Now the Jews looked to the cloud as the Shekinah glory of God. It was that cloud of Exodus, the cloud of Sinai, the cloud that filled the tabernacle in the temple. It signified that God was present. You know, I remember the time in my life whenever I... Love, young man, I love sunshiny days. I, lo I, I love to play baseball, okay, as a child. I whenever I had the opportunity, I love to play baseball. You can't play baseball when it's raining, you know, because we played out in the cow pasture, all right? <clears throat> uh, you can't do that. 
And I just despised, as a child, cloudy days and rainy days. You know, I never look on a cloudy day anymore with disdain. I just don't. Behold, he cometh with clouds. You know, I, I, it, could be the, it could be the day. And while Peter fir at first felt it's good for us to be here, as the glory intensified through the cloud, no doubt they began to feel in awe and dread as a sinner in the presence of God. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. God said no. You're not going to build a tabernacle for Moses. You're not going to build a tabernacle for Elijah. This is my son. Hear him. Now they may not have heard the voice of God at Jesus' baptism whenever he said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But Peter, James, and John heard it here. They heard it here. They heard it now. <clears throat> He might not have known what he said. You remember the text says, Peter said this, not knowing what he said. He might not have known what he said, but I'll tell you right now, he knew what God said. He said, this is my son. Moses and Elijah were great men of God, but this is my son. And verse 36 says, and when the voice was passed. Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. No longer is there focus on anyone but Jesus. Jesus only. That's what, Ma that's what Mark and Luke record. They saw Jesus only. This morning, over this weekend, if you've paid attention, whether you were there uh, in person or whether you were watching it on Facebook or whatever it was on, uh, on the Internet, if you were watching the meeting, if you were, if you were paying attention to the meeting, what did you see? You saw Jesus. We saw, listen, we've seen Jesus this weekend. We felt his presence. We've, we've, in, we've been encouraged. We've been motivated. No matter what the trials and tribulations of this life are, we've been motivated to continue to move on, move forward. They kept it close and they told man, no man in those days of the things which they had seen. <clears throat> but Peter remembered it. Because in Peter's writings, our text, we began this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Of his majesty. There's not a king on the face of this earth that can compare. You know, I, I, I don't know when it is. I think, I think over across the pond they're going to crown a new king and have an inauguration day here. For maybe, maybe it's already happened. That's how much I keep up with the news, okay? Huh? 
In June, okay, it'll be in June. All right, in June, they're going to have a coronation for this king, this earthly king. I want to tell you, Jesus has got a coronation day that is coming, that is going to out, outweigh. It's going to outshine. There is nothing that the nation of England can possibly do that can even compare to the coronation day when Jesus, when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is king of kings and he's Lord of lords. For he received from God the Father honor and glory where that when there came such a voice from, to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter remembered it. Peter remembered that day. And while John had a vision of it again, so to speak, on the Isle of Patmos, when John sat down and penned his gospel, what does chapter 1 and verse 14 say? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then there's a parenthetical expression. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to know what truth is? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. You want to know what, you want to know what grace is? <laughs> Look at Jesus Christ. And all this happened on an ordinary day in the life of Jesus Christ. It was ordinary for him. And that day, though, it was very extraordinary for three other men. In Acts chapter 12, verse 2, we find that Herod kills James, the brother of John, with a sword. And I believe that whenever he was arrested and whenever he went before that murderer to take his life, I believe that old James had to go back to that mount. I remember when I was on the mount, I saw Moses and Elijah in a bodily glorified form. If you have to take my life, take it. But that's all you're going to take is the earthly life. You're not going to get me here. And then in verse 3 of Acts chapter 12, we read where the Jews were pleased and he proceeded to take Peter also. But Peter has an angel come and just bring him right out of the prison. Peter, get up and put your shoes on. We're leaving. I'm in shackles and bonds. How is this going to happen? No, we're, you're not, it's, not, it's not your time yet. You're going with me. Now, <clears throat> Peter would go on to write two of the New Testament epistles, First and Second Peter. He would go on to preach for approximately 37 years after this occasion. 
As a matter of fact, Roman historian Tacitus record, recorded that Peter was crucified upside down by Nero about 67 AD because Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord and Savior. <clears throat> he had to go back to that mountain. He had to go back to that experience that he wrote about in 1 Peter when he said, I was with him on the holy mount. I saw him glorified. And I appreciate so much what Brother Adam brought out in his sermon, in his sermon that <clears throat> I've heard preachers say, and, 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 I, and I'm not trying to dis, discredit anyone, okay? But I've heard preachers say that when Jesus left heaven, he left all of his glory there and came down uh, to, to, be, uh, to be human. I want to tell you, I'm just like Brother Adam. I don't believe for one minute that Jesus left his glory in heaven. He simply shrouded it in human flesh. Because whenever he was on that mount and his glory just began to shine through, it was as if it, was as if it just permeated that human flesh and the glory of God was manifested. And Peter said, I saw it. You can crucify me if you want to, but you can't do it the way you did Jesus. I'll not have it. And old John, cast on the Isle of Patmos, in prison, busting rocks, probably never going to see the light of day civilization again. How many times did John have to go back to that mount? How many times did he have to go back? How many times did he have to relive that occasion, which was just an ordinary day for Christ? But he had to go back and draw from that extraordinary experience that he had while he was on that prison island. And then God in his mercy and his grace, that beloved apostle, was given the sweet privilege of once again seeing Jesus on that island in vision and sat down and penned the wonderful words of the book of Revelation. It's still my favorite book in all of scripture. It's still my favorite. Nine times, nine times, that old aged apostle who supposedly is the only one who died a natural death. Nine times in the book of 1 John, he uses the term little children. Little children, abide in him. Pay attention to him. You see, John could say that because he had seen him in his glory. He understood that Moses and Elijah were in glorified bodies. He understood that no matter what the Roman government could do to him, 
he understood full well that there was something far better waiting for him on the other side. I appreciate very much your wonderful attention this morning. If you ever have the opportunity to come to Milan, Tennessee, we, we beg you to come and worship with us. I think you'll find a warm, welcoming place. It has been my sweet privilege to be with you this morning and I pray that the things that I've said will find a place in your heart so that whenever the trials and tribulations of this life come upon you, you can, as Peter, James, and John, you can look back to the word of God and go to that mount and see that Moses and Elijah were there in glorified bodies and just like they were, we're going to be someday too with the one that loved me unconditionally. Because if he loved me conditionally, I wouldn't be here today. May the Lord richly bless is our prayer.